let's get going then, Maggie. Um, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, when I first had this idea of talking to people who I'd encountered uh, along the path, um, it, it wasn't a purely, um, uh, how should I say, uh, sort of educational thing that I had in mind. Um, it was also, you know, putting a bit of myself into it and also things that I've felt were of uh, relevance and interest in in today's world and I mean you you are the first family member yeah that I've uh, I've talked to I you know, I don't want it to be too sort of dominated by my own sort of personal things um but I, I for me it's really really important talking about things like equality and um you know uh, discrimination and and basically the uh, iniquities of life and and so going through these kinds of topics I kind of bring out you know what I think is also important in society um, and you represent some yeah brilliance in this area um, because of who you are and and the way you do things so um, yeah would you like to sort of come back on that or just tell us a bit about who you are um um, well, thank you very much for saying that. I always, I always a bit surprised whenever you say it that you're always so kind and supportive and generous with your compliments. Um, so, I, well, who am I? I'm just a pretty much an ordinary person, um, the daughter of immigrants, first generation. Um, I wasn't born in this country. Um, but went to school in this country. So what do you want me to expand on? My education or my career? Uh, yeah, who you are, the things that are important for you, essentially, and it will just, you know, uh, bounce ideas and bounce sort of conversational points off, yeah. off the things that you find are important. Um, I, guess, I guess who I am, and people ask me that really, I never really identify as being English, certainly. Um, so I'm a British person who has spent the majority of my life in the UK, um, but a foreigner nevertheless, and always has sort of felt like a foreigner. So the things that, the biggest impressions really of me not fitting in is probably what would be the most predominant thing that have impacted my life really. We can start there, that's for sure. Mm. not belonging <laughs> a definite overwhelming feeling of not belonging pretty much anywhere and i think mm. that's quite common amongst um young kids that grew up in the uk i mean i find that really interesting coming from somebody like you because as uh, you know as i've probably said i don't know how many times you know i find you are such a a tower of strength you know, this sort of uh, prevailing fortitude, which just continues to, you know, to move forward. And um, yeah, I, I would never have considered the, the, you know, the fact that you, yeah, perhaps felt in some ways as though that you, you didn't necessarily, um, you know, fit into the world around you immediately uh, in, in London or Windsor. Reading. Reading even, Redding, yeah. yeah. Did you ever have a feeling of not belonging? You know, I, I'm a bit, it, I'm not sure actually, because I always felt quite um, settled 
wherever I was, whether that was with my uh, friends at school, uh, whether that was with uh, the Armenian scouts or the Armenian basketball team or my English football teams, you know, I, 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 I don't know if that's because I'd never actually felt the pressure of representing anything other than me. Yeah. Which, which seems, I don't know if that sounds strange because, you know, as you know, I was quite involved in Armenian community. So people always used to say, you represent, you know, you know, this particular group or this particular idea and so on. But yeah, you know, I only, I still only felt not in a selfish way, just, it's just me, you know, and my little bit that I contribute, nothing more. No, but I knew, I love that because basically what that really is interpreted to, to say is that you're comfortable in your own skin and that sense of being comfortable in your own skin, which translates into confidence. Um, I'm really, really interested in that and how and who displays that. But you've always had that. I love that. And I'm envious of that, actually, because I've never had that. I always see you as such a confident person. Is it, you know, I see the first thing I see when I see you, I, you, you have a smile whenever you see friends and relatives, you have a smile for them. You've got, and, and it's, a, and I'm pretty sure you get that smile from your mum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, because she, she, no, because she had the same smile. Yeah. And when you saw that smile, it was a bit like, oh, I've come back to a familiar place, you know? Um, and, and that in itself inspires confidence. Well, I, I think what that is actually is approachability. So that's something I know that I do have inherently in me because just, I would say, I mean, you can't really, you can't, I suppose you can fake it. I guess you can fake it, but it doesn't last long. Mm. But I actually genuinely am interested in humans and whoever is in front of me. I'm genuinely interested in them as an individual, a person. And I do, when I ask a question, I actually do care what, what I'm listening to. So I suppose that can be faked because there are people that are good making conversation, but you can't fake it for long. Um, and so I know that there is a sense that when people meet me, they're comfortable and that I'm approachable. So I guess that might be what you're talking about confidence is different though i think mm. because just like you have a sense of yourself so you basically you show up you show up in a group or in an environment and you don't have this need to have to prove anything so that actually is a confidence you it can you know like i can show up but I, I, I immediately have a sense of lack when I show up. I have an inferiority complex, probably because I've been carrying that around with me all my life. That doesn't mean that I don't, I don't enjoy being at that place. I can certainly be enjoying myself, but still feel inferior. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, it's a surprise. I mean, we've, we talked quite, a, we have talked quite a bit about a number of different things and, you know, you know it, I don't know, social ailments, you can say, and in some cases, sort of, you know, psychological issues and stuff that people face or, you know, whatever yeah. was uh, prevalent at the time. But, you know, I, I never, ever thought that you were in any way lacking in, in confidence. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess 
different people interpret how they uh, feel, um, I guess, uh, to how they perhaps, uh, to the image that they perhaps project and, and whether or not you have been well-trained in projecting a certain sentiment um, and yet at the same time, um, you know, keeping within your, your, I suppose in this case, you'd say insecurities. Um, it, it just makes it even more amazing what you do and, and the way in which that you, you continue to do it because, you know, you don't hide away. You know, it's not as though you... No. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're brave, you're in there, you're out there, you're battling away. And... Yeah. yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Because I think that a lack of confidence or an inferiority complex, they're different things, right? And then, and then, you, and then you have to add in social um, skills into the mix. I think I've always had social skills, right? And if you, if you couple social skills with actual interest in people, then it's irrelevant whether you're feeling inferior or not in an environment. You can always connect with an individual, mm. right? So that authenticity of wanting to connect with that person could make, I suppose, could be misinterpreted as confidence, but actually, and in a way it probably is actually when I think about it now, because in the context of, am I scared to speak to someone? No, I'm never scared of speaking to someone. So that could be interpreted as being confident. But do I feel like I'm, I am somehow inferior to that person that I'm speaking to? Yes, easily, I could easily. I mean, I feel inferior to you. I find you extremely intellectual. And um, the ability to assimilate information and understand it in a really confident way is something that I've never had. Um, and so in that context, I feel inferior to you. Is that a bad thing? No, I mean, I respect you for it. And I can, I can, I can, um, what's the word? Uh, what's the word? I, I can respect you for it, and I can admire you for it. So it's not inferior in a negative way, um, but I know that I'm lacking it. So other people, for example, who don't appear to be confident, it could somehow sometimes just be lacking social skills, and that could actually just be about practice. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, so it, confidence is a very generic term, and I'm so so keen to learn about it and people yeah yeah i mean yeah i'm almost sort of bowled over because you know i in in a, a big part of my education came from reading uh certain kinds of books um essentially these were books uh, the main one was a story called zartonk in armenia which is called the awakening and it talks about a period of revolution in the sort of late 19th century and and, and the main people who um, who set themselves up to try to liberate uh, the Armenians um, from Ottoman rule and from you know, the horrors of, of that rule. What, what they did was they, they fundamentally said that the people, so this uh, spiritual perhaps group of individuals who they didn't even know, were immediately elevated above them. And so all the work that they did was below and beneath the level of importance that this group of individuals represented. Right. And, and, and this served as my sort of educational basis for the work that I did in the Armenian community. So the way that I considered myself to be was essentially beneath all of the people with whom um, I had any interactions on the level of importance, because I thought definitely to use a line from Star Trek is in the many outweighs the one 
or the few. Yeah, and in this case, I was the one. Um, and, and it's interesting that you would have a similar, um, I suppose, approach to things, but perhaps on a completely different basis. Uh, I, I find it mad. This is interesting, actually, because is that a cultural thing or is it so that humility and also the, the serving to serving people, basically, that that interest to serve people for the common goal of the people, that is a it, it could that also be a socialist thing? So. Go on. Yeah, no, sorry, I was, I was going to say, in my case, yes, I agree with you. I, I think it is a socialist thing. Yeah, yeah. But what's also interesting is that you were able to grasp that at a quite a young age and, and, it, and you assimilated it into your purpose, your life purpose. And so actually you saw the value of being, of, of, of servitude to the people which actually is probably the most um, admirable quality in an individual, I think. Yeah, you're, you're definitely making me seem to, look, to be a lot better than I, 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 than I am. Um, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I am currently growing wings and it's very hard for me <laughs> to stay. <laughs> to stay. We've, well, we've always appreciated each other. <laughs> but it's not a, it's not a, I think... Um, this this trend i versus we you know i versus we is a trend actually of thought because especially with covid you know everybody has had to make sacrifices for the common good right and actually it's interesting how that's played out in all the different cultures around the world and also fed into the stereotypes of the cultures of the world too don't you think absolutely and um to be honest if, if you think back to any individual incident where there has been human suffering localized human suffering the people around um, who were in a position to provide assistance without thought jump in and and help and and I do remember you, know, you could talk about you know the the seven seven bombings you could talk about nine eleven you could talk about uh, any number of other sort of public incidents, um, and they don't have to be necessarily terrorist in form. Um, I remember there was uh, once a, a train crash somewhere near Tesco's, yeah. and then all of a sudden everybody that was in Tesco's, whether they were workers or customers, they all ran out. Um, taking food, water, medication, any kind of supplies just from the store that they could to try to help the people that were there. Uh, and it was just amazing to see this unfold on, you know, on television. And it's just, no, there was no thought for it. It just had to happen. Mm. So th there is a lot of this uh, sort of empathy in human nature. It's just a shame that it so often requires a tragedy for it to surface. Right, right. That's, that's actually really, that really is something that I think a lot about because I am constantly flabbergasted, if you want to use that word, at the lack of human empathy in day-to-day -day life, just normal, small, little things. Just having, 
just being able to understand that that person might be feeling this way or that way. And, and actually it really bugs me because I sort of, I'm over empathetic to my, to my detriment sometimes. Um, but I think that it is a, it is a, it is something that's become, I think the society ha is having a more of an awakening of that. And that could be again because of COVID, but it's actually also, I think, being driven by the trends in social, where everyone is becoming more aware of this cancel culture and the complete lack of empathy um, mm. relating to that, because everybody becomes such sort of, you know, what do they call them, keyboard warriors and wanting to cancel each other out. But actually, those people that are becoming very righteous online to try and cancel out what they consider to be very bad behavior are, are behaving equally as badly. And sometimes the extremes are, you know, really causing some damage, proper damage. So there's lack of empathy on both sides, whether they're trying to cancel out what they think is to be wrong or right. All this judgment um, is all wrong on both sides. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and yet what is also in many ways, um, I suppose, to a difficult position to hold is the one in the middle where you don't have an opinion one way or the other. That is almost equally as... Um, <laughs> yeah, problematic or troublesome to society as the extremes that you know exist on both sides. That's true. I do that. That's such an interesting part, actually. Whether actually being being um, neutral is a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I don't know the answer. To that. I haven't I mean, got. I, that. I mean, I haven't got a thought about it yet. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think. Neutrality to a certain issue or another issue—that's fair enough. I mean, nobody is completely aware of all of the arguments, uh, you know, that exist for a specific issue or mm. for every issue. But in general, apathy, where you see yeah. something unfolding, and you think to yourself, "No, that—that's that's too much for me to get involved in. I'll leave that," you know, and you walk away from the person crying in the street. Um, no, that's not apathy, is it? I don't think you can call that apathetic. I think you can call it fearful. It's fear of getting involved, really, in that context, because you don't want to, you don't want to take on the consequences. But apathy is genuine indifference, mm. and that that is when somebody is lacking, well, EQ, empathy, whatever you want to call it, or mm. they're narcissistic enough to say, well, it doesn't bother, it doesn't impact my life, so why should I get involved? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in, indeed, as you say, there is a difference, and and perhaps even in some cases, a, you know, a, a collection of of the three, um, depending on on the situation. It is troublesome, isn't it? But on the other hand, as you say, you know, there have been these sort of social pushbacks, haven't there? As in uh, a couple of years ago with you know Harvey Weinstein, we had the Me Too. Uh, yeah. Last year, we had uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, at the same time, this COVID explosion has occurred. So you know, there is this uh, shift to recognition of the need to create a more just and equal society. Because you know, it seems as though the dam has burst for the ability for people to control their emotions when they see, um, you know, perhaps in far too great a number, 
the amount of injustice that has simply gone you know, unobserved, unpunished, ignored, um, and that's it. Yeah, you say that, you say that, but has it really? I mean, I know people are being more vocal, right? And people are definitely being more vocal, let's say, or on online, which doesn't require as much bravery, mm. right? But, and there's also sort of in certain cultures and political systems, there has been revolution for sure. So people are pushing back and that does require courage and bravery because they're really taking on a, you know, years of, of systematic abuse from governments and so on and, and overturning them. And this Me Too, Me Too, that requires bravery, Black Lives Matter requires bravery, but, and so, yes, there's a shift, but is it, I mean, sure there's a shift in, in behavior and um, vocalizing injustice, but what's, what's gonna be the outcome? I don't really know what the outcome is because right and wrong is a man-made thing. And who determines what's right and what's wrong? The winner. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the unfortunate reality is indeed, uh, you know, the victor writes, as it were, the history or the story. Yeah, um, that's it. That's it. And the point is, what? where does that end up? I, that's what I'm interested in knowing. Where is that going to go in terms of... The shift is necessary now because we're going through massive shifts technologically, culturally spiritually but I, I you know where's it going I don't know <laughs> and that's what I'm really interested in I might not be old enough to to see it through but um I'm very keen I mean do you read any books around this kind of stuff like you know uh yeah you know I'm I'm kind of uh, going through this phase where I'm really sticking to fiction and uh, away from because I, I see all of the politics and uh, social studies that I need in the news because it's no longer theoretical mm -hmm. it's unfolding before our eyes and um, you know whereas in the past you had to study these kinds of social shifts I do believe we are in the throes as you say um, of a very uh, you know, a, a serious social change and one of the principles which I remember about for example revolutions is that you you can start one but you never know where it will finish yeah. and that that is essentially one of the, the the key defining elements of of a revolution I mean you know a few a couple of weeks ago I spoke with uh, uh, Alvaro about uh, the French Revolution and, and this was a case in point as in what they began when they stormed the Bastille and then what happened at the end of it I think were perhaps two completely different things yeah you know and and we don't want to see this mass violent revolution take place now because people do still I believe generally find uh, violence uh, abhorrent so we have a very reserved revolution it's a very slow subtle one with words currently still being fought with words even though there are instances of violence in some well, places I, I don't know i don't i don't necessarily agree with you because because 
when a strong leader comes up like Trump, whether you like him or not, he can incite people to action. And so it actually only needs one individual to be able to galvanize violence. And that happens in pockets all over the place. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, hatred is always there. You know, it's uh, it is a constant which is uh, simmering. Um, um, but the thing is, I agree with you also what you said before, this concept of good and bad is completely wrong because it only suggests that there are two possible options. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's just uh, extremely limited and very two dimensional. Um, and so, you know, there are always many options, uh, many ways of resolving an issue and, you know, many types of hate. And what we see, for example, under you know, what happened with Trump was you didn't only have racists, you didn't only have um, people who were um, you know, anti-Semitic, people who were you know, conservative yeah. Christians. Um, you, know, you, you had all of these people coming yeah. together. And that's the worry, that's the point. Yeah. That, that, that people, individuals can be led if that person that's leading them is strong enough and is single-minded enough, they can, they can galvanize a body of people. That, and that, I mean, I find that fascinating, really. I find it fascinating because, and that's, that's what you said about revolution. That's, um, that's, that's what happens because the, the um, galvanizing people to do things, you have to get them really emotionally committed, yeah? And when you're talking about emotion rather than logic, that's when things happen that are unexpected because emotion becomes overwhelming. And when you're overwhelmed, you'll be doing things that you wouldn't have necessarily done had you not been in that state of being, you know? Mm. And, so, and so like, you know, forming the capital, going in, starting to sit at the desk of, you know, um, the speaker and, and those, those kind of things. They, I don't think they were expecting that they were gonna end up doing that. It probably came as a surprise to them even, but that mob emotion, that collective emotion took them there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th I think the mob, um, you know, as, as defined even in the times of Rome, you know, if you control the mob and you control Rome, yeah. as in, you know, th this idea has existed for, for a very long time. Yeah. And you know, you're right. It is a powerful structure, a powerful social structure, because you feel um, untouchable, you know, you know, going around the streets because there is no force to stop you. So... So dial that back in to how you control people, for example. Emotions are the, is the strongest methodology of controlling people. And then when you, when, you, when you dial that back even further into, into how you are as an individual, if you can control your emotions, you can control your destiny, <laughs> I think. I hope so. Well, I yeah. hope so. I mean, I mean, they, you know, it's fear and love. Are they not the two most? Should we, okay, you could also add hate, but hate is simply a, you know, no, the, uh, the other form of the dial of love, isn't it? So, yeah. um, 
you know, as it, so love and uh, fear are, are the two ways that society has to rule. You either follow somebody else because you are afraid of them or you follow them because you love them and love what they what they represent. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, yes, of course, exactly what you say. These are the emotions which rule us. Can we control that? But they say that uh, you can't control your feelings. Well, I think I probably can. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what enlightenment is about? That's the whole point about spiritual enlightenment. It's about being able to master yourself. And the question now is whether the machine can actually start in controlling you by, by, by controlling your emotions. So this is how, I mean, one of the questions that you sent to me was, Okay, well, what, I mean, actually, I don't remember. Was it? I thought you had a question in there about technology, yes. and I think, and and how technology. What does technology look like? I mean, I can't answer that question. I have no idea, right? <laughs> also, the timeline of the technology and the adoption of technology, but I think we're so close to the ability for technology to help us feel things, and if that's the case, then if you project that out you can control people by controlling their emotions. And if you can code that, then, I mean, actually, I suppose that's no different to advertising when you think about it. That's, that's how advertising works. But when you were saying that, actually, I, th I thought of something quite similar, in fact, as you say to advertising, because, I mean, for example, I um, recently had a birthday and I got a, an email from Lidl, Manchester United, um, and, you know, these other things, I mean, yeah, just, you know, it's not as though, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sort of sends like a happy birthday message, you know, and um, you're right, you know, it's these kinds of, this technology, whether it's hardware or software, you know, for us, it doesn't really matter what kind of where it is, it's, it's the result which we see, you know, we are inclined to pursue those things which bring us pleasure. And so if you are on, I mean, I'm not particularly active on social media, but you know, if you're somebody who is active on social media, you get all of these messages, oh, you know, this person is here, he thinks you've done such a good job and these people yeah. are looking at you and you know, do you want to respond to this person? Because yeah. you know, she said something nice to you last week, you know, and then you're, you're sort of being pushed to you know, perpetuate these, these cycles. Yeah, yeah. It's just basic human understanding. And, and what I love really is the fact that right now we're getting more and more insight into human behavior. And actually what's also scary is that that's also being fed into, you know, all of the, all this data about us and how we behave is being fed back into all the people that are promoting things to us. So, so whether you like it or not, um, I sort of like it because it just means that we can get to understand it because I still believe that humans have a choice in things. I don't think that everybody is just sort of blindly. I mean, they are. There's loads of people who are blindly walking around and letting things happen to them. Um, but on the whole, we all have a choice. And actually, I, I like to know how people work um, or how the science is. So... I am on this sort of, I say mission, I'm not on a mission at all because I'm too lazy for missions, but um, I'm, on this, I'm on this path of trying to understand how potentially I can master myself because I'm constantly disappointed with myself. 
which actually probably goes back to how why I'm driven in a in a way. But I'm you know being driven is relative, isn't it? Because if I if I applied this much energy, and I was smart, I could be a millionaire, or I could be you know the president, or whatever. And I'm not I'm not any of those things. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's also perhaps a question of will or need or desire because um, you, you, you strike me as being one of those people who um, you sort of fasten onto an ambition and, and then you set about fulfilling it so I mean the immediate when you as you were speaking earlier the first thought that came to my mind was your drive and then you mentioned it you know um, so yeah, you are you know, clearly driven because you know you do so much you are um, well, I mean, can you, can you, yeah, because I mean, this conversation is brilliant and I'd like to continue it going, but I mean, can you tell us a bit more of what you do? Because then, you know, people perhaps have an idea of exactly how much you do. Yeah, sorry, turned into a conversation, didn't it? It's brilliant um, though. That's cool. That's well, how it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I run a PR agency, PR marketing agency um, now, but I'm about to launch another business. Um uh, my PR marketing agency focuses on technology companies, whether it's a startup business or whether it's an established market leader. But um, the focus is always technology. And I've been in technology all of my career, really. Um, I've always, uh, also my, my, my career, I guess I was sort of somehow thrown into um, sort of the technical part of tech. So we were all, I was always in sort of somehow the innovative part of it. Um, so I was lucky in that sense. And, and that has never, so, so technology has never been intimidating to me. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that, I suppose. So, um, so we effectively do mainly publicity. So public relations for pitching to journalists about product or services or people. Um, but we also do all the related marketing services necessary because now content is the core and a story or a narrative, an engaging narrative is at the core of everything relating to advertising and promotion. So we are being taken into, you know, social media management, content creation, um, advertising online, whether it's Facebook, whether it's, you know, banner ads, or to, to um, creating messaging for every channel of communication that engages with the consumer, be it in B2B or in B2C space, which is really, I find actually quite exciting. So the new right. business as well is relating to humans as well. Can you talk about the new business as well, or is that yeah, too, too soon? I haven't, I haven't launched it. No, it's not too soon. I mean, this is not rocket science. Um, what what I'm doing is I'm trying to find a way of making it easy for an individual to understand how to promote themselves. This was born out of finding that certain elements in society, <laughs> specifically, actually, um, 50 to 60 year old white men who were finding themselves starting to become marginalized within, within um, the careers um, because they were finding that they had had successful careers but hadn't managed to port 
their successes online. And this applies to mothers that might have been out of the workforce for a while, um, uh, individuals that don't have confidence or are not technologically minded, because online is where you network now, really. And if you're not confident to be able to show up and represent yourself professionally, I'm talking about, not personally, um, represent yourself professionally in the most authentic way and uh, probably in the most positive way, then you'll fall out of the running in your career very quickly. And I find that too sad, actually. So I'm trying to make a platform that's going to be easy for people to learn how to do that for themselves, but also at the top end of the service, probably to be able to outsource that to us to do for them. Because probably the easiest way to promote yourself is to get someone else to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and to do a better job of it than you, know, you yourself perhaps could. And therefore, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so is this going to be, is, this, is the idea of this to develop into a, a sort of large um, business platform, which essentially exhibits portfolios of people's abilities, which no. like recruiters will then come to, or is there a different idea to this? No, the idea is that you personally will take responsibility for your PR. Um, okay. So you'll determine what channels are going to be important to achieve the goals that you want, whether it's going to be a career change, uh, whether it's going to be uh, a promotion, whether it's going to be um, actually you want to start your own business or you want to be seen as an expert in a certain field, you know, so you start writing papers if you're an academic and publishing them, but knowing how to, they, how to make sure that they get seen by the right people. And there's an art in doing that because it's quite a noisy, you know, on being online is very, very, very noisy and I don't mm. think anybody gets it. Okay, yeah. Is that beeping in the background? Do you mind if I... Yeah, do you want to... Is that your watch or something? No, no, actually, it's it's the oven. Hang on. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I burnt my lunch, but that's all right. No. no. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, it's cool. It's cool. It's good. Um, yeah, so so I'm actually this 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 is really exciting for me because PR is really not a very well understood discipline in marketing. 
it's it's interesting because I think I have to explain what PR is to a lot of people, even businesses, because they just don't really get the power of PR. And um, so if I'm able to really figuring out an easy way for just individuals to know how to brand themselves and PR themselves authentically, yeah, um, I think, it, I think, you know, I actually feel that that's going to talk into my purpose in life a little mm. bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you think also perhaps people don't really truly recognize the, the, the need uh, in this case, because you, you mean I, you always, uh, for example, try to push yours truly uh, into doing things uh, to going that step further and to, you know, for example, you know, for, promote myself as it were in, in certain ways and in certain uh, platforms. And you know, I could only imagine that with with uh, you know people who are far more prominent in in your sector that you are even more so. Well, you know. You, you, I, you may not have a need. If you don't want to promote yourself, you don't need to, right? But I feel like there is a race that's happening. And if you're not part of that race, then you're going to fall out of that race completely. And I don't want people that actually have a lot of value to offer to do that. So I am driven to having people that I value, even whether I, whether I have a personal connection or not. I mean, in this context, I have a personal connection with you and I care about you and I think that you do have a lot of value. Um, you just need a little bit of pushing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Good old fashioned in size nine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, but if you didn't want to do it, then you shouldn't be doing it. It's not about being forced to doing it. That's that's the key. The key is for you to feel authentic. I hate that word. I really hate that word. <laughs> I haven't found a better word than that because it does have to be something that you actually can connect with, not you know a different version of you, um, because it it's not that's not sustainable. You can't fake it. I think. It, lots of people can fake lots of different things, but that's the point, is it's mm. not about faking it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really, it, it, it's intriguing because I, you know, I, from my own experience, I know that you know, I would love to be, for example, uh, either a, a radio show host at night, a bit like the Midnight Call, a Jack Killian style yeah. thing, which is, which is the inspiration in some ways behind what, what, what this is. Yeah, I would love that, you know, in the same way when, you know, I was a kid and I would dream, well, even now, actually, I dream about when, when I play basketball, you know, scoring that great, the buzzer beater you know it's never going to happen but i can still dream of it um and so if pushed you know to 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 admit these things i said yes of course i'd love it i'd love it but you know sometimes i see um the journey perhaps in itself being a bit of a barrier you know so because because i can't clearly see yeah the, the path between here and now and yeah that dream yeah, 100%, 100%. So this is, this is, I mean, if I realized, it's so, honestly, it's so basic. It's a bit like losing weight when you're really, really overweight. Actually, even when you're not really that overweight, okay? I've been trying to lose weight 
my whole life. I'm not even talking about my whole adult life. I'm talking about, be, you know, before then. Um, so, but if somebody had said to me, losing weight is not about feeling amazing straight after you've done one workout. If somebody had said that to me when I was younger, that realizing that actually everything is all about incremental gains, small incremental gains that compounded get you the result that you need. And it's about understanding those small gains. And it's a process and a journey. And if you commit to the process and journey, you get the results. So what happens is you're looking at it and you think, well, I'm not famous. I'm not gonna, it's gonna, uh, the work that it's gonna take to get me to be famous, um, for example, I know not the, ignore the word famous, but uh, you know, a successful talk show host, yeah. Um, it's too much, it's too overwhelming. And when you look at it like that, it absolutely is. And, but what you realize is including people that are 100% global, globally recognized, everything was incremental. Even Steve Jobs, I mean, you know, Steve Jobs talks about, you know, when he looks back at his career, it wasn't a linear thing. These things all get plotted out in different ways. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but that, it's, it's the culmination of the whole journey that gets you there. So what I'm trying to say is, First of all, what my business is going to do is to give you a path that is not intimidating to allow you to get there. What we will also do, because we're experts in it, just like if I was a diet coach, is give you a framework and then help you along that path. And the confidence that grows from achieving and gamifying that process, let's call it, um, getting to you know step number one or step number two, it's that confidence that gets you to the end result. But it, everything requires commitment. If I commit to losing weight, I'll lose weight. But I still need a framework and I still need to be able to understand that step one leads to step two and then when I get to step two, I'm gonna feel like this and then I'm prepared to feel like this and then I think, oh yeah, okay, I can see I can see myself getting to step four now and see myself getting to step five. But when you're at ground zero, you can't even see step five. You can only deal with step one and step two. And somebody has to help you do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I once heard also somebody in, um, in a sort of TED talk. You should do a TED talk, by the way. You've probably done one. No, you, but, oh, I have not done one. Yeah, it's okay. so funny. I have to share, <laughs> let alone go on a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was somebody talking about agile. Yeah, the, 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 the theme was agile. And they said agile, it's, you know, it's not this huge monumental shift. It's exactly what you said. It's these, these little achievable steps which allow you to slowly but surely um, affect change within an organization. And you're essentially taking um, this sort of um, slowly but surely structured agile approach with uh, individuals for achieving a certain goal it seems exactly exactly because we've 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 learned we have understood the psychology more now in terms of achieving goals it's all this whole 
there's so much data now about why individuals don't and can't keep to their New Year's <laughs> resolutions, <laughs> right? Because random resolution, whenever you're feeling shit, uh, forgive my French. Um, That's fine. We love French. <laughs> they don't work because they know there's no structure and there's no plan to achieving the goal. I'm um, God, honestly. Have you heard of Blinkist, by the way? Uh, yeah, but please tell me more about it because I, I may have misconstrued the, uh, the the complete element. Or is it Blinkist? Is is this where you 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 are you pretend you can see something but you can't? Or? No, 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 no. Sorry, Blinkist is an app. Actually, it's an app. Oh. It is um, it um, abridges um, uh, non-fiction books into into audio. Um, and so what you get is, it's not an audio book, it's an abridged audio version of the book. <laughs> which, okay. I'm, which I'm sure writers hate, but it helps you go through lots and lots of nonfiction books really quickly to get the basic, you know, um, beans. Um, so, but you, if you go to Blinkist, Blinkist is brilliant by the way, so you can you can go on a walk for 10 minutes and you've, you've, you've Listen read, to read eight books yeah okay. <laughs> um but if you look up time management or goal setting or goal achieving or habit forming oh my god the amount of books on there oh my god it's unbelievable same as dieting right there's a gazillion ways to hack and and, and lose weight or whatever and it's a huge industry but actually it's understanding the psychology of the individual and once you can once the individual commits to something, really like viscerally commits to something, then they will never achieve anything. But they do need to have that visceral commitment plus a process or a framework that works for them. If that, those two things coupled together will enable anyone to achieve anything, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> I think a, a lot of the problem for some people is, you know, we've a lot of these sort of psychological self-help books do tend to regurgitate certain things. And, you know, people perhaps have heard this, uh, this kind of sentence, this, this inspirational line um, so often now that, you know, they probably think to themselves, yeah, but if everybody achieved everything that they wanted or that they could achieve, um, then the entire world would be complete or, you know, full of overachievers. Um, but again, th th that's also not, not the case, is it? Because you know, not everybody really wants to actually achieve something. Sometimes for them, it's just, it's enough to know that they could if they chose to. Exactly. So actually that goes back to choice. That's my point. My point is you don't have to be famous if you don't want to be famous. Actually, you don't mm. really have to lose weight if you're happy with the way you are. So that is about self-awareness and understanding. But the framework for achieving things, it's, it's a science. So you have to understand your own motivation and whether you actually want to or you don't want to. 100%, that's, that's the basis of everything. Well, this is the commitment you were alluding to earlier, isn't it? It's the, that's, that's the path, you know, you stay the path as it were. That's all it is, yeah. But what I didn't know, and I know I'm sure everybody else did and I didn't, is that 
the path that that actually achievement aren't big leaps they're never big leaps they're tiny little steps that culminate into eventually being a big leap and i didn't get that before so that's that's a revolution for me <laughs> and i love that actually and it and it, and it it makes me feel a lot better about being where i am because i've just been wasting time in my opinion but is it can you actually consider it wasting time i mean you know because we've talked about path here and we talk you've mentioned enlightenment and um you know the path to enlightenment it's it's not a you know it's not a well-trodden one nor is it a, a you know an illuminated uh, roadway uh, you know we all have to find our own way there uh, some for some people it's you know they're born with enlightenment uh, for others they strive all of their lives and never quite achieve it so doesn't enlightenment come to you at the time it should do? Oh, oh. Mm, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you're, I don't, are we born with enlightenment? Um, I think we're born, I think we're born, um, getting a bit deep, aren't we? But I think, I think we're born with no expectations, no real understanding, well, open, open, let's call it. And maybe that's the closest state of being enlightened. Um, but no, I don't think enlightenment, enlightenment comes to you whenever you, I think it comes to you when you're ready, but I'm not sure that it comes to you without work, without commitment, without some, yeah, without work. I, mm. You know, I'm sure somebody more enlightened than me, because I certainly am not enlightened, um, can answer that question. But I don't think anything just comes, in a sense. I think you have to, I think you have to somehow either desire it or be part of the manifestation process. Maybe that answers your question as, as to why I'm driven. <laughs> so I suppose I think things don't just happen. <laughs> No, I think you're, you're driven is, is um, I think it's, it's, it's a personality thing, you know, you, 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 I think you have a certain way of analysing situations and um, I think you have had these kinds of skills, perhaps you've been aware of them for some time, perhaps that they were, you know, they were just natural to you at certain points in your life, but you've, you've made decisions and uh, these were perhaps based on observations that you in reflections, and then you've just gone ahead and pursued those as in, I, I'm pretty sure you, when you've taken a step, it's been deliberate, at least after a certain point in your life. And, um, and that's what makes you driven. So I don't think you're an accidental hero or heroine, if you prefer to use that term. Um, yeah, I think you're very deliberate in that way. But you know, that's my assessment of you. Interesting, isn't it? Because mm. I actually don't think I do a lot of thinking at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I meant by, I think I've wasted a lot of time. I think that when you become deliberate, then you can achieve a lot. But it's it, your view of me is so is so different to my view of me, which is which is which is interesting in itself. And um, that's you know, I like it. Obviously, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, the point is there is science behind it. Really, there is science behind it. And 
once that science is understood and applied individually, i.e. some self-awareness and some retrospection is um, created, i.e. you know, I'm starting to actually think about I'm not being blind about my life. I'm actually starting to think about why I make the choices that I make and how I might be able to change that direction for myself. Um, you, you feel more powerful. You feel more powerful. Actually, this is, you know, this is my point about everyone has a choice to determine whatever outcome they want. This is not a self-help or you know, motivational speak. This science. I consider this to be science. And now that even people are understanding more about the science behind mindfulness and meditation, it's becoming more and more apparent that if you don't practice mindfulness and meditation, you can't create new outcomes in your life because your brain, your synapses, the pathways are all ingrained. And so therefore there will always be a repetition of behavior. You can't get new behavior because your brain doesn't function that way. You haven't given your brain a new pathway. I, yeah, I think it's fascinating what you say. Um, and, and it also, it, it, it throws a question at me, which is, is there in some way a certain part of, of, of that sentiment which would avail itself of a, a communal, a social step forward where there is a collective move uh, towards not only improving um, you know, the existence or the life of the individuals, for example, who would, um, you know, take advantage of this offering, but also elevate those of the people around them, you know, as a step forward as a community. Yeah, there is, because there's lots and lots of community structures that are doing this in many, many, many different ways. And some of it partly sometimes can be in the, in the structure of religion, by the way. Um, the point is, whether you want to be part of a community or whether you're doing this individually, an element of self-awareness has to be part of the process. And, and understanding that you sort of have to be doing something else or creating new experiences for yourself in order to have or change the experience that you're currently going through. So can, if you apply this, for example, to um, creating opportunities for young girls, let's say. Um, okay, let's take Black Lives Matter as an example. Black Lives Matter is a movement. And now there's been a shift in society to understand actually that it's not about all lives matter, but black lives actually matter. And you have to put an emphasis on that. And part of the outcome of that has been to have more black people, more different cultures of, of, of different ethnicities be involved in more mainstream things. And 
on TV now, you see more representation of black people. Um, in, in, you know, business talks, you see more representation of black people. And one of the reasons for that is because they're creating a whole new vision. They realize that actually a child cannot be inspired to think differently for her life if she can't see something different, if she can't relate to something different. Who was it that said, if you can't see it, you can't be it? I think it was, mm. I think it was the um, Yahoo CEO, uh, I've forgotten her name now. She's not at Yahoo anymore, she's somewhere else. But um, it's a creating a different experience. So if you, if you think you have an eight-year-old, you know, Jamaican girl, now she's having a completely different experience to her 30 year old mother who was born in this country. And she's seeing more role models that she can aspire to be like. Oh, I mean, take, um, take Biden's, um, um, uh, you know. Oh, his vice president, Kamala yeah, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, overnight, <laughs> that mm. has created a whole globally has changed the life of many, many, many young girls of color. Have you have you read uh, Hidden Figures? I haven't read it. No, I, I saw the movie. Okay, I haven't seen a movie, so I'm not sure if the movie covers all of the elements of the book. Um, and the book is fantastic. And there's one part where um, they tell, the, the author tells a story of uh, Uhura, you, you know, in Star Trek? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know the name of the, the actress, but Uhura, fantastic actress, obviously. And she takes, she goes to some uh, convention. And at the convention, one of the organizers says, can I introduce you to your biggest fan? And, and you know, Uhura, she's telling the story later on. She says, I was expecting some child to be presented to me. Um, and it was Martin Luther King. Wow. Yeah, and um, and she was completely flabbergasted. And apparently, a couple of days before this particular meeting, she had said to Gene Roddenberry that she wants to leave Star Trek at the end of the season because she wants to go to Broadway. And she tells this because she thought, "Oh God, how can I?" You know, because you know Martin Luther King is here, and he's saying that you, I'm I'm his favorite. How can I walk away from here without telling him I've actually quit? Um, and so she tells him, and he said, no, you can't. And, uh, and she's really disappointed at this. She said, what do you mean I can't? And he says, you are one of the most important symbols because you represent a future where it's natural for black people to be in a position of authority, to sit and converse equally among the management of the Starship Enterprise, to speak to you know, Spock and the others as an equal. Um, you, know, you can't imagine how important your role is. And apparently Martin Luther King only really watched Star Trek because of Uhura. He didn't watch anything else at the time. So what you're saying uh, is exactly that, exactly that. And obviously Uhura went back to Gene Roddenberry uh, a couple of days later and said, actually, I'm, I'm gonna stay on. And she stayed on. Yeah. And you see, this is what's nice, actually, because she, it, it gave her it gave her purpose, actually. And and when she when she connected with that purpose, it made a big difference to to the enjoyment of that activity. But I think I think within within you know within people of color, within black leaders, 
there's been all there's been a huge lack actually of right of of enough representation but i was watching a documentary about um um uh, a singer black singer in france she was american actually she became really famous in france but mm. was rejected by her own people josephine baker that's it in the 20s um and how it took her a whole lifetime really to connect with a higher purpose and identifying that with actually her her um her skin color but and then finally was able to be of use to her own uh, well accepted by her own people but also be of use to them in 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 the end because she became part of the um french resistance and was able to help a lot of people but to begin with she didn't want to have anything to do with it because she was being successful but didn't really want to be representing people of color and trying to take their, um, you know, uh, change change lives of any other people of color. Strangely, yeah. anyway, well, digress. It's a it's a pressure, though, isn't it? No, but I mean, what you've brought up here is also a, a question I wanted to to ask you. I, I've asked um, lots and lots of people who I've I've spoken with, um, and. You know, so you mentioned science, obviously technology. Um, you know, these are the first two elements of STEM, yeah, engineering and mathematics. Yeah. These are places which are considered, um, you know, the, the, the minions of men. Um, how have you managed to operate in the way that you have, with the the gusto, you know, that you possess, uh, and you continue to sort of push forward um, in such a male-dominated sector? What's your secret? Um, well, I, I feel a bit of a, I, I feel a bit sort of, um, a bit of an imposter when you, when, when, when I'm asked this question, because my route in technology wasn't through engineering and mathematics, okay? so it wasn't through academia. And, and now, by the way, there's growing numbers. So the, the gap is definitely starting to, to um, uh, become smaller. And I have been active in that community myself in terms, of the, in, term, in terms of some of the work and the mentorship that I've been doing. But to answer your question, I didn't, I didn't have a really, um, what's the word, purposeful way of getting through it. I just got through it. I didn't let it stop me though. But if I, if you ask me what was the secret, my secret wasn't so much of a secret, but what I didn't do is, I didn't shy away from being feminine, but equally I didn't allow my femininity to be abused. Um, so what I was definitely aware of was the fact that I was a woman and there was a lot of men around and I did get a lot of male attention, but luckily or not, I didn't participate in that. And I was very much victimized. Um, oh my God, I got so many stories about that. So many stories that we sort of, from my generation, used to sort of put up with. I mean, one, in one context in, in my career, I had men middle-aged men working for me um, 
when I was in my late 20s. And they didn't like that at all. I mean, God, the things they used to make up about me was ridiculous. But I was lucky because my boss believed in me and he gave me the opportunity. So I was lucky because I had someone that believed in me who was in a position of authority. And that was just luck, I suppose. Um, but if I didn't have the ability, I wouldn't have been able to make it through. So I put my head down and I got on with it. And I tried to ignore the people around me and what they, what and how they were behaving. That would be, I guess, the secret, if you ask me to really sort of, you know, hone it down. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was treated terribly when I was younger. And the, the amount of sexual predators, my God, and what they thought they could get away with. But what was sad actually is um, my generation almost accepted that that was okay and we were somewhat numb to it. And I'm really grateful now to, to have the ability to look at it and say, yeah, that's not okay actually. And it wasn't okay then whether I would have been brave enough to have fought against it at the time or not, I don't know, but uh, I'm lucky enough to have not had anything really bad happen to me in the workplace that I couldn't just um, ignore and get on with. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, you know, people such as, you know, you in your generation have uh, sort of, you know, made a path um, in some ways, at least for the current generation um, to, you know, to walk it a bit more easily. And yet even so, despite that, we still see a world, um, you know, replete with uh, this kind of sexism. Um, people still feel they can get away with, you know, saying things, doing things in some cases. Um, but you know, there is now more pushback there's now more support. There's now um, a yeah. greater understanding of the needs of, of these kinds of um, you know, horrific situations. Is um, Would you say that this is because you know, younger women are now braver? Uh, they now trust in, in uh, you know, these various elements of their organizations to represent their needs? Um, I don't know. I think I think that still comes down to the individual and the context, because I think people are being abused all over the place all the time still. Um, and so I can't say that I think there's a lot of work. I mean, you know, the anti-slavery activities, I, that's people smuggling, there's abuse mm. all over the place, and it's still very well hidden. Um, Within the workplace, however, there's more awareness and I'm grateful for that. And so young women should be able to progress more in their career and I'm seeing it happening all the time and it's very encouraging um, without having to, um, without having to face any discrimination because of their gender. I also see that my generation of women are bringing up their children differently, including the boys. And actually, it's that that's making the difference. Because the boys, 
that are growing into um, the workplace now have a different view of women. That's what's making the real difference because the dinosaurs at the top are still there and mm -hmm. they still do it and they do it in a very hidden way. You know, basically whether they get caught or not, that's still all still happening. Um, but they're going to be, you know, they're growing too old now to be in the workplace. So it's good. And they'll, they'll just be, they'll, you know, they're being, they're being um, unearthed slowly, um, but some of them will just sort of be too old to be in the workforce and then they'll go and cause havoc somewhere else, probably in their own family, abusing their women or whatever, um, sadly. But I think there is more courage to voice, primarily as well because of, unfortunately, society always has to have a structure there to support people and actually having some form of penalty in place where police are starting to understand emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, and being able to know what the difference is, that also helps too, because there is a form of recrimination if you act that way. The structure is being put in place to be able to penalize you. Like, like revenge porn or mm. like um, uh, online trolling, for example. So hopefully that's all going to weed these people out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also the sort of developing levels of uh, legislation with regards to controlling uh, social media platforms. Uh, obviously, that has to be uh, balanced against uh, freedom of speech and so on. Um, but hopefully, at least those elements which are threatening to vulnerable elements of society, uh, hopefully it is, as you say, uh, a progressing and developing area. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's also cultural, it's also cultural. People have to be, it's very sad, but culturally, some women have to be taught what the difference is between abuse and control and um, care. They can't tell the difference. I couldn't when I was younger. It's very sad. So there's a lot of education that needs to be that needs to be done still. I mean, that's this is a long this this answer is very different to what you asked me about STEM, but it all goes down to the fact that the that that society has to support change, not just individuals understanding what's right and wrong as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Maggie, I tell you, do you know, I wish I could speak with you. For for hours and hours and hours. I have a feeling, though, that uh, people's uh, concentration levels aren't quite what they no were. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever going to listen to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll just, do it. they'll just have to do it in two or three parts. This all. That's, uh, yeah, that's the benefit of podcasts. Um, do, there are so many other issues I'd like to talk with you about. Um, and I know how hard it is to, to, you know, to be able to find the time. Um, but maybe, you know, I don't know, in a couple of months, um, we can get back together again and uh, talk about about some more stuff would that yeah. be all right that'd be great it's nice to be able to just shoot shit cool love it all right my dear thank <laughs> you very much uh your yeah your input is brilliant as always um and uh, now hopefully a few more people will benefit from some of the things you have to say because i'd always sort of selfishly hoarded all the things that you said <laughs> thank you for even considering me i really appreciate it it's impossible not to do so <laughs> thank you maggie thank you Right. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.